0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, I would invite you to open uh, to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. So the Old Testament and the book of Psalms. If you open your Bibles right about to the very middle, uh, there's a good chance you will hit the book of Psalms. And we're going to be looking together this evening for a few minutes at Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Now, as you're turning, uh, it's, it's, it's... uh, perhaps encouraging to take note of the history of the Book of Psalms. The Book of Psalms has been a rich storehouse of encouragement for the church for centuries. This book, the Book of Psalms, was the hymn book of the nation of Israel. You might not have ever thought about that, but we just sang from our Trinity Hymnal this evening, and and not to be too maybe too. Um, to crass, But the Trinity hymnal of Israel, so to speak, was the book of Psalms. They would sing these psalms together uh, week in, week out, day in, day out. John Calvin once referred to the book of Psalms as that which gives us an anatomy of all parts of the soul. If you're hurting, go to the book of Psalms. If you're rejoicing, go to the book of Psalms. If you're doubting, go to the book of Psalms. If you are struggling, go to the book of Psalms. Of Psalms. Very often when I have counseled uh, folks in my churches in the past, almost without fail, part of my counsel and encouragement would, ge- would be, let's go spend some time in the book of Psalms together. It is balm for our souls. It is rich with what we might call experiential theology. Yes, there is deep, wonderful theology we find in the book of Psalms, but it is wrapped in Everyday life, we might say. Very often we hear the psalmist crying out, How how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Why, O Lord? Why, O Lord? And the the main theme is the hymn we sang earlier tonight, to trust and obey. Well, there's no other way to find a life in Christ than to trust and obey. So we'll be diving into one particular psalm this evening, Psalm 40. So let's read this psalm together. If you have your Bibles, would you follow along with me? Psalm 40, says God's holy and inerrant word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart." Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Father, we ask that you would give us insight into your word. We ask that you would give us your spirit. We ask that you would show us wondrous things in your law. And that you would take these truths and that you would impress them deep upon our hearts. To the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 40, as the superscription says, note that little superscription. Don't skip over those. Those are just as inspired as are the rest of the psalms, as are the rest of the words. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. Psalm 40 is a psalm of David. David, of course, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David, the shepherd boy who would rise to be Israel's greatest king. David, that man after God's own heart. David, that great sinner, yet who turned in great faith and repentance to his great Savior. Well, this evening, for our purposes, we're going to walk, walk through Psalm 40 under three headings. We'll look at it under three parts together. We'll look at deliverance, obedience, and confidence. Deliverance in verses 1 through 3, obedience in verses 4 through 10, and confidence in verses 11 through through 17. Now, put a little more meat on that bone. We could put the theme of this psalm this way Past deliverance yields present obedience in future confidence. Past deliverance yields, or produces, or brings with it, or causes in our hearts present obedience. In future confidence. And we'll look at each one of those three points together tonight. So first past deliverance. Look back at verses one through three. David had been and was in a pit of despair. A pit of despair. Look at his language in verse two. He describes the pit of destruction. He describes that that miry bog. Think of think of quicksand. David was sinking in a quicksand of miry bog. This is Vivid language indeed. Now, we can't be sure of the specific context. We can't nail it down with, with pinpoint accuracy. The text simply doesn't uh, tell us. It's likely not a literal pit like the kind that Jeremiah found himself in in Jeremiah 38, or that Joseph, even more famously, found himself in in Genesis chapter 37. But more likely, this is a figurative pit. This is a metaphorical pit describing the, the desperation of David's circumstances. Now, if we're familiar with the life of David, there are, there are numerous episodes that could fit this specific context. For example, the times when David was forced to flee from Saul. David, who had been anointed the next king of Israel, yet was forced to flee into the wilderness, was forced to flee uh, for his life from King Saul. Or perhaps 2 Samuel chapter 15, when David, now reigning as king, is forced to flee when his own son Absalom desires to take his life and his throne. Or perhaps it's the circumstances surrounding his great sin with Bathsheba. And we could go on and on and on. The exact context is not important. What is important and what I want us to consider for a few moments this evening is two things. David's response to those circumstances and then God's response to David. So we see two responses, so to speak. How does David respond to this pit of despair he finds himself in? And then how did God respond to David? So first, look at David's response. David in deep distress. David in the pit of destruction. And what is he doing? He is calling out to the Lord. (laughs) He is crying out to the Lord. Look, he he references my cry in verse 1. My cry has come to the Lord. And also, David's cry was not a one-time cry. It's not as if David just called out to the Lord one time and said, I'm done with that, now it's time to wait. No, there is a a perseverance indicated in the text. A literal translation would be at verse 1, I waited waiting. In the original Hebrew, the same word is repeated twice. And your English translation probably talks about, I waited patiently, but literally it says, I waited while waiting. There's, a, there's a, a note of perseverance, a note of stick-with itness, we might say. David cried out once, and he continued to cry out to his faithful God. He's also crying to, note, there again in verse 1, he's also crying out to the covenant. God, to the God of the covenant. Note how Lord is set in all caps there. He's calling out to not some distant God, but he's calling out to the God of the covenant, to the God of promise, to the God who had made promises to Israel, and to the God who, who is faithful to keep his promises. To put it in our New Testament language, he's calling out to the God whose every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So what how does David respond to His circumstances in which he finds himself in this pit uh, uh, of quicksand, this miry bog, he calls out to his Lord, not once, but continually. And he calls out to the Lord who makes and who keeps his promise. Well, then, how does God respond? How does God respond to David's pleas, to David's cry to him? And look at what he says, and let me just read the verbs. Let this sink in. He inclined, He heard, He drew, He set, He put. Let that sink in. He inclined, He heard, He drew, He set, He put. He inclined to me, He heard my cry, He drew me up from the the pit. He set my feet upon the rock and he put a new song in my mouth, inclining, hearing, drawing, setting, putting. What a glorious description of the mercy of God and the God of mercy. This is not a picture of David climbing his way out of this pit. It's not a picture of David kind of laying out the instructions and building a staircase and finally finagling his way out of the circumstances, out of this pit. This is a grand picture of divine intervention, of divine condescension. Simply put, this is a grand picture of a work of God, of a merciful work of a merciful God. Because that's who God is and what He does, does He not? He is a God of abounding mercy who loves to show and extend mercy to his people. And David knew that. Thus, David could cry out continually to the God of the covenant. This is what we see the Lord doing all throughout the Old Testament, do we not? Let me read one of the the greatest examples, kind of a a parallel passage to what we see here in Psalm 40. Turn back to Exodus chapter 6 for just a moment. Exodus chapter 6, let me just read a few verses, verses 5 through 8, and the context is Moses having been raised up and called to deliver the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, Moses is not sure kind of a, how the Israelites are going to take it, and the Lord says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. So let me pick it up in verse, in verse 5. "'Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves.' I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. You catch the, the similarities. I will do this. I will do that. I will bring you out from, the, from the, 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 the nation of Egypt. I will protect you. I will sustain you. I will bring you into the promised land. It's like what we hear in Psalm forty. God inclined, He heard, He drew, He set my feet, and He put a new song in my mouth. God is the God who dwells with, who comes down to be with His people, who comes down to act always for your good, for His people's good, and His glory. Of course, where do we see this most fully? The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. We see this this divine Coming down, this divine being with his people, of course, most fully in the incarnation, in the person of his son, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible of a sovereign, all holy God coming down to dwell with and be with his people, most fully and ultimately in the person of his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, first we see. A past deliverance. Secondly, we see present obedience in verses four through ten. In verses four through ten, and I want us to note David's obedience both in word and in deed. And obedience in word and in deed. First, look at verses five, and then skip down to verse nine and ten. Look at verse five. You have multiplied, O oh Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. They are more than can be told in verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. So David tells us he will proclaim. He will tell. In fact, he says he has told. I have told of your wondrous deeds, O Lord, in the midst of the great congregation. David doesn't keep it to himself. David's lips are open, we might say, in telling others of the great works of God. David has a, we might say, an inner compulsion to talk about the great things of the Lord. There is a new song in his mouth, we might say, to use the language of verse 3. Simply put, David cannot help but speak of what God has done for him. And here's what I want us to note very carefully. This is not, in context, talking about evangelism. Now we love evangelism. We should do evangelism. Mark is teaching a class on evangelism this summer. The conference is all about being equipped to do evangelism. That's a wonderful thing. We should go. We, you dear friends, you dear saints, as a mission work, we should be involved in evangelism. But that's not what David is specifically talking about here in Psalm 40. Well, what is David talking about here in Psalm 40? David, simply put, is talking about encouraging his fellow believers. He's talking about speaking of the great things of God to his brothers and sisters. Look at the the, the repetition of the great congregation in verses 9 and 10. I have said in the great congregation, I have told in the great congregation, Congregation, David's talking about telling his fellow saints of the great, mighty acts of the Lord to bring glory to God and to lift up, to encourage his fellow believers. And dear friends, what a challenge and what a, an encouragement and perhaps a rebuke this is to us. How much of our conversation one with another is not edifying. I think of the the political climate the political climate in which we live in which, you know, we sides try to tear down one another as much as they possibly can. How much has that seeped into the ways and the attitude and the hearts of those who are part of the church? What a what a challenge this is to us. Now, the Bible is not, not mandating our words. It's not saying you have to talk about this. You, you, know, you can't talk about the Astros game. You can't talk about the Texans game. That's not what is in view here. What is in view is simply the tenor of our conversation. How often does the th- great things of the Lord fill our conversations one with another? How often do we call one up, up call one up, uh, another up and say, you know, I just want to tell you about what the Lord's been doing in my life lately. Now let me just tell you how the Lord has been at work growing me and, and, and showing me more of my sin and more of His glory. This is a rebuke to my own heart as it is to perhaps all of our hearts. Maybe, may we take it to heart to make that phone call. I'd love to talk with you about the great things of God. Let me share how the Lord has been at work in my heart. What's He been doing in your life of late? Psalm 119. Over a hundred verses all about the glory of the word of God. Every New Testament letter. Think of the letters of Paul, for example. The letters of Paul are filled with what? The great things of God. Now, certainly Paul could have talked about matters of of civics and and political matters. Of course, Paul was living under the the Roman Empire. I'm sure there were some, some, some troubles there. But what fills Paul's letters? The things of the Lord the things of His Savior and the walk that we are called to live as sons and daughters of the one true and living God. So first, the, 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 the obedience in word. But David also talks about obedience in deed. David takes us inside, if you will, to the very heart of obedience, which is the obedience of the heart. Look back at verses 6 through 8. And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written to me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now we'll come back to these verses a little bit later. But at a surface level, David is describing simply his devotion to the Lord. His devotion to the God of mercy. Now it's important to note, just to, be, just to be clear, David is not repudiating the sacrificial system. David is not saying that the sacrificial system, that the, you know, those laws that God gave to His people in Exodus and Leviticus were bad. That's not what David is arguing against. That what David is arguing against, rather, is mere sacrifice. He's arguing against, and he's speaking against formalism, simply going through the motions. He's talking about what the prophet Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, when he talks about those who draw near with their mouth, but their hearts are away from the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. In fact, Jesus picks, that, picks up that very verse when he is rebuking the Pharisees in the New Testament. What Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, to obey... Is better than sacrifice. Again, we're not to pit Moses against David. David is simply saying we don't want formalism going through the motions. We want those sacrifices brought from a heart that delights to do the will of the Lord. So, what the Lord accepts, what He desires, is sacrifice from a willing and obedient heart. Note that little word, I delight to do your will. I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. David longs to be obedient. Well, to be obedient to what? To the Word of God. Note the reference to the scroll, to the scroll of the book. Your law is within my heart. The Lord has given me, note that language there, an open ear. You have given me an open ear. A literal translation would be ears you have dug for me. It's kind of an interesting uh, Hebrew phrase. It's simply a posture of obedient submission, of having ears to hear, we might say. Remember how often Jesus says in the Gospels, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's That's what's being talked about here in Psalm 40, of putting yourself under The word of God. And David, as the king of Israel, would know well what it means to put himself underneath the word of God. Well, you say, how would he know that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20 stipulates that the king every year was to write down the law of God, signifying and symbolizing that the king of Israel was not an autonomous monarch. You know, exercising his own will over Israel, but he was serving underneath God's Word, just as we are called to do. We are called to submit ourselves, heart and soul, to the Word of God. Calvin puts it this way. David came into the presence of God, not only in the outward pomp or ceremony and figures of the law, but that he brought with him the true devotion of the heart, the true Devotion of the heart. Calvin's life motto was this, O Lord, I give my heart to you promptly and sincerely. I give my heart, Lord, I give it to you promptly and sincerely. So may we make the same confession to our Lord. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my children. I give you my employment. I give you my relationships. I give you my heart promptly and sincerely. I delight to do your will, O my Lord. So first, we've seen the past deliverance. Secondly, the present obedience, both in word and in deed. And then thirdly and lastly, we see confidence for the future, or future confidence in verses 11 through 17, basically the second half of this psalm. David finds himself in another pit. And you can see the difference because of the difference in, in, in verb tenses. Earlier David was talking in the past tense. Now in the second half of the psalm he switches over to the present tense. He finds himself presently in another trial, in another pit. And is, not, that, is that not how the Christian life so often is? We get out of one pit and lo and behold there's another one waiting right for us, We take one step out of the pit and then we fall head first, flat on our face, right into another pit. And that is how it was for David as well. Let me read verses 12 through 15 for us. Follow along with me, verses 12 through 15. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. Here's his new miry bog that he finds himself in. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Uh Aha. And what I want you to note, and again, this is perhaps the theme of this psalm, is it is God's past deliverance, God's faithfulness throughout David's life that gives David hope and confidence that the Lord will do it again. Look at verses 11 and then 16 and 17. Look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. I was just saying, Lord, you're going to show me mercy because that's who you are. You are a God of mercy. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Then look at 16 and 17. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Lord, don't delay. But I know you're going to come and sustain me. Because that's who you are. That's how you've been for your people from, from centuries ago. And that is how you will be with me, David. And that's how he will be with every one of us, both today and forevermore. Again, to summarize, the actions of God in the past inform and shape David's confidence and hope for the future. To quote Richard Belter, one of my Old Old Testament professors, he put it this way, past deliverance is the basis for present prayer. Past deliverance, past faithfulness of God is the basis for our present prayer. Because we see this throughout the Bible. The exodus from Egypt became something of a, of a continual resting place for the people of God. Again and again, the Israelites would think back to God's deliverance of them in the past and say, surely the Lord will deliver me now. Let me see It's in the New Testament as well. Look at, look at one text. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans 8, 32. How much more... Is this true of us who live on this side of the cross? Look at what Paul says in Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 He, as the Father, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He also not with Him graciously give us all things? To to summarize, Paul is saying, we look back to the cross. We look back to the cross, the death and resurrection of our Savior. And Paul is saying, if God did that, to put it overly simplistic, if God did that, He has done that, will He not bring us all the way home? The God who has who sent His own Son, the Savior who voluntarily came down low and lived and died and suffered the wrath of God for sinners like us. If God did that, how can He not with Christ give us all things? To paraphrase, how can He not bring us all the way home? How can He not bring us all the way home to Himself in glory for eternity? Again, past deliverance, we might say the cross produces present obedience, our desire to walk with Christ day after day after day and future confidence that Christ will come back, that God is faithful, that all of God's promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we begin to close this evening, our study thus far has in no way plumbed the depths of this psalm. But as we begin to wind down, there's two things we need to keep in mind. The Book of Psalms was the song book of Jesus. Jesus would sing these very Psalms. As Jesus was w- w- made his way to Jerusalem for the annual feast, Jesus would be singing these very Psalms. But also, secondly, the Psalms all find their fulfillment in Christ. The Psalms point to and find their fulfillment in Christ, and it's easy for us with this psalm because it's explicitly told us. And so, let's turn for just for our last text this evening to Hebrews chapter ten, verses five through seven. Hebrews chapter ten, verses five through seven. And here in this in this chapter, the author of Hebrews is is, is exalting the glory of Christ over and above the Levitical Old Testament priesthood. So let's see what he says. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7. Consequently, therefore, let's let's pick it up in verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, in other words, here's Jesus' words when he came into the world. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, and here's our our psalm, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So the author of Hebrews takes Psalm 40, our psalm, and says, Ultimately... It's pointing to Christ. Ultimately, it is pointing to the obedience of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it's speaking of the one who would perfectly obey the will of God. David didn't do that. We don't do that. But there was only one who did. Of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews here is saying that song we've been looking at, Psalm 40, at the end of the day, It points us straight to the ministry, the life and the death, the perfect obedience and the the substitutionary sacrifice of our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these these last words of Professor David Murray. Listen to what he says, commenting on this idea from Psalm 40 in Hebrews 10. He says this, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews is given a secret look Behind the curtain of heaven, to hear what the Son of God said as he departed heaven, and a blink later, arrived on earth. These were the words on his heart, his mind, and his lips as he entered Mary's womb in this world. He saw a human body, a divinely prepared body, a bleeding body a dead body and a resurrected body. And he said, Behold my body. Behold, I am coming. This is what the Old Testament was all about. I delight to do your will, O my Father. So brothers and sisters, as we close this evening, this psalm encourages us to look back. To look back to that greatest display of love and mercy and faithfulness this world has ever known, the cross of Calvary, and to take confidence in that, and to have that spur us on to a life of obedience, a life of joy-filled obedience to our Lord, and to be hopeful, to be hopeful for the future the God who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? How will He not bring you and me, dear brother and sister, how will He not bring us all the way home to Himself? And that is on the grounds of our Savior Jesus Christ, who once and for all perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the will of His Father the one true and living God. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this wonderful psalm, for this rich psalm, in which we see Your past faithfulness in the life of David, that You drew David up out of the pit, and You set his feet upon the solid rock. Oh Lord, how have, have You not drawn us from the greatest pit the pit of sin and death and set our feet upon the solid rock of Christ. May we look back to the cross and to the empty tomb and may we presently, joyfully follow hard after our Savior in obedience to His Word and may we we with confident hope look forward. Look forward to that day when You will return and You will take us home to Yourself. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.